0: Well, Good morning again. There's a, a movie that was critically acclaimed a, a few years back, but it didn't do all that well at the box office. Maybe you remember hearing about it or maybe you saw it. It's called The Long Drive. It's about a man who is in his 80s and he realizes his life is going to end fairly soon. He knows he's not going to live to be 120 or anything. and And he's lived most of his life estranged from his only brother. Something happened in the relationship and they have not spoken for years. And he makes the, the resolution that he's going to try to reconnect with his brother and make things right. But there is a couple problems. One is his brother lives several states away. And two, he has no means to get there. The only way he can get there, only mode of transportation he has is an old uh, John Deere lawn tractor. And so he decides that's what he's going to do. He takes sets off driving this John Deere lawn tractor at five miles per hour on a mission to reconcile with his brother. Along the way, of course, he encounters many people. One is a young girl who's all alone. She has left her family behind, and their lives intersect around a campfire at night. They begin to talk. She tells them that she's better off alone. She does not need her family. She doesn't need anybody. She's stronger and better alone. The old man tries to counter that and, and talks with her and... And he tries to fix the very thing that she's running from. And he picks up a stick and looks her in the eyes and says, this is you. And he snaps the stick in half. He says, if you go it alone, life will break you. After he broke the one stick, he picked up several others and held them together in a bundle and tried to break them. They would not break. And he said to her, that's what many sticks will do in your life. You can make it when there's a band of people who stay together. Today we are finishing our sermon series, Relationship 101, in which we've been looking at some of the different relationships that we experience in life. We've also been looking at some of the scripture passages uh, that have something to say about those relationships. So far, we've looked at the relationship that we have with each other in the church, with brothers and sisters in Christ. We've looked at the relationship we have with neighbors around us, the world around us. We've looked at the marriage relationship. We've looked at the parent-child relationship. And today we're looking at the relationship that we call friendship. We look at the, uh, the topic of being a part of a group of friends, people with whom we do life together. Now, the desire to belong to a group is perhaps the deepest human need that we have. I mean, the most successful sitcoms tie into and tap into that need. Back in the 80s, Cheer is a very popular sitcom set in a bar in Boston. Theme song was "You Want to Go Where Everybody Knows Your Name." The next decade, (laughs) Friends, becomes almost a a circuit group of friends for millions of people, especially in their twenties. Today, you've got The Big Bang Theory, a group of misfits and nerds and scientists who get together and they do life together. They get along. They find their community, their their connection with each other in that setting. So, the desire to belong to a group is perhaps the deepest human need, and we all. Resonate with that need. We all recognize it in the world and culture around us. I mean, what is the worst possible punishment that you can give to a prisoner? It's solitary confinement, isn't it? Being alone by yourself for extended periods of time becomes unbearable for us as human beings. Remember the movie Cast Away. To fill this need for companionship, Tom Hanks' character, who is marooned on an island, forms an odd relationship with Wilson, a a volleyball that he discovers in the wreckage. And he develops feelings so deep that he risks his life to save Wilson when the volleyball is swept out to sea and he mourns deeply. He's broken when the volleyball is lost at sea. Relationships, deep and fulfilling, rewarding relationships, being a part of a group of people who do life together, that's something that we all long for and need. I'm sure each one of us here can relate, perhaps positively, if you've experienced the joy of being a part of a of good group of friends who you have each other's back, The relationships are real, they're supportive, they're encouraging, they're fulfilling. Perhaps there's been a stage in your life where negatively you've experienced that, where you felt like an outsider looking in. You're not included, you feel alone, unsupported, frustrated, misunderstood. We've all experienced probably elements of both. You see, we are wired by our Creator to live in relationship. He did not create us to be loners or alone. He created us to thrive in relationships with other people. I mean, think back to the beginning. (laughs) Creation was not complete when God created Adam. The Scriptures tell us that when God finishes making Adam, He steps back and made this very important assessment about life, In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so God creates Eve. And God's greatest accomplishment in creation was not a, a solitary man, but the creation of a community, of a family, of people who did relationship in a deep and transparent, authentic way. We find significance from building relationships with each other. Now, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, which was uh, just read just a second ago (laughs) by Cindy, you know that it's a deeply reflective, insightful analysis of life. And it can also, frankly, come across a little bit uh, pessimistic and depressing. The author, who most believed to be Solomon, King Solomon, basically describes life as meaningless. Our work, our wealth, our wisdom, so on and so forth, all meaningless, he says. But through the t- course of the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, he says two things, two things do have meaning. After everything else is gone, after everything else is gone, everything else is settled and said, two things have meaning, a relationship with our creator and our relationships with each other. And so our passage today from Ecclesiastes 4 focuses on the <laughs> incredible benefits of doing life together with other people. But before we unpack this passage, I wanna make a couple clarifications. First, this is not really a passage about marriage. It's often used as a wedding text and in, or as an illustration of what marriage ought to be. And you can apply this to marriage, but, but it's really a passage about close personal relationships that God, as God has intended them to be in general. So it doesn't matter if you're married or if you're single, we all need someone other than ourselves with whom to do life. The second clarification is the design is not always the reality, is it? God designed us to benefit more by relationships with other people than by being alone in the world. But there are times when some of us prefer some alone time, when we need to draw back by ourselves to recharge or reenergize or to reflect or to think. There are some of us who, by nature, are a little bit more of a loner type of person who want to do most of life by themselves. That's just how we're wired. That's okay. And there are some who want to have close relationships with people, but nothing really seems to come easily for them and nothing seems to develop. They feel alone and lonely and nothing they do seems to change that. And sometimes people even can be disappointed or disillusioned in regard to the church because we may not meet all of their relational needs and expectations. But our intention as a church body is, is to be a place for a real community, authentic community where we can do life with other believers and other people where that happens and develops because we believe that building significance through relationships with God and with each other is really what life is all about. So let's now move to our text. And Solomon's message to us in these short verses is pretty clear. We're stronger together than when we're alone. There's strength in numbers. And there's greater risk and vulnerability if we do life alone. And Solomon looks at three different scenarios. The person with no close relationships in verse 8. He looks at the person with one close relationship in verses 9 through the first part of 12. And then he looks at the person who has more than one close relationship in the second part of verse 12. So let's look at the first scenario. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? So God has designed us to find significance and meaning through community, through relationships, not through career or accumulation or achievements. Now, this man apparently was a hard worker. He had a job or a career. He owned a property or something. He made a lot of money. But the indication is that he has no close friends. He did work and he worked hard and all his labor and all his wealth, he says, does not satisfy. He had all these riches, but his life had no richness. And one day he steps, steps back in a moment of reflection and says, what's the point? And he realized that all his achievements without relationships were not satisfying or fulfilling. And Solomon concludes that such a life is too much hard work for what you get out of it. And that the richness of life is missed if you don't have someone with whom to share it. Now, there are two compelling realities about doing life alone that I want to draw out. First, one of Satan's key strategies is to isolate us, divide and conquer He wants us to try to do life alone. That's what he did back in the story of Garden Eden. He comes between Adam and Eve and he he drives a wedge. And they're most vulnerable when they're not together as one. He does this in our lives when he stirs up conflict and people's feelings get hurt and they withdraw. And there's a strain in the relationship within a family or a marriage or a friend or co-worker. He will enable anyone he can to swim needlessly upstream alone for a whole lifetime. Because when we're isolated, we begin to struggle spiritually. We begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt his promises. We begin to question his truths. And Satan wants us to struggle as much as we can. And so his primary strategy is isolation. Martin Luther addressed this when he said, No man should be alone when he opposes Satan. The church and the ministry of the word were instituted for this purpose, that hands may be joined together and one may help another. If the prayer of one doesn't help, the prayer of another will. The second thing I want to draw out <coughs> about do, trying to do life by ourselves is that it's virtually impossible to come to spiritual maturity in isolation by ourselves. Paul is clear in Ephesians 4.16 that it's only as we work together that we grow Immaturity. Centuries ago, there were people who were known as pillar saints, and church history talks about how their, inten- their tendency, their instinct, was to remove themselves from culture and relationships so they wouldn't be corrupted, so they could be as holy as possible, and so they would live on pillars, and food and water would be raised up to them using ropes and buckets. But it didn't work as they had hoped, and they discovered that isolation led to spiritual apathy, to spiritual stagnancy, and a spiritual doubt. It's impossible to grow to spiritual maturity outside of the context of relationships. How else do we learn to forgive? How else do we learn to make sacrifices? How else do we learn humility? And so on and so forth, except in the context of relationships. So that's scenario number one, the man who tries to do life by himself. Solomon now moves on to scenario number two. About facing life, it's about facing life with somebody else who can help Make it go easier. Verse 9, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. (laughs) But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So again, God has designed us to face life together. In God's economy, when two people come together, our strength is multiplied and it's greater than two. Solomon turns to four illustrations. To demonstrate his point. The first illustration is work. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. So, you know, work in general goes easier when there are more than one person involved. Many hands make light work, so on and so forth. You get more done in less time. It's not so overwhelming. The second illustration is a fall. If either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls, when there's not another there to lift him up. Now, two circumstances are probably in view here. One is physically. You fall, you, you break something, you get hurt, you can't get up, and it's helpful to have somebody there, right, to help you up. That's one scenario. The other circumstance is in mind is a, a lapse in judgment, a big mistake, an error that you make in life, a, a pretty big sin or a, b- a bad pattern that you've fallen into, and it's a situation that you're not sure you can come back from. You're not sure for whatever reason you can get back to where you need to be. And a tendency is just to give up and to stay stuck where you are. To live your life in shame or guilt or, or just to harden your heart and just say this is the way it is. And to get back on your feet in that situation can be a pretty da- daunting challenge if you're trying to do it by yourself. But when, when there is somebody else there to encourage you and assist you and, and help you, it's so much easier to get up again and make progress and get right again with God, and get right again with other people. And those of us who have fallen at different points in our life know how important another person, a close friend like that, is in those circumstances. The third illustration Solomon uses to drive home the benefit of doing life with others is trying to get warm when you're cold. Verse 11, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Maybe you remember the story that the news called The Miracle at Quee Creek. Nine nine miners were trapped for three days, 240 feet underground in a mine, in a water-filled mine shaft. And the story says that early on they had to make a decision. Are we going to live and work together as a group or are we going to die separately? The 55-degree water threatened to kill them slowly by hypothermia. So according to one news report, when one would get cold, the other eight would huddle around that person and warm them and so on and so forth throughout the three days. Minor Harry B. Mayhew told reporters after he got out of the hospital, everybody had strong moments. But in any certain time, maybe one guy got down, the rest would pull together. And then that guy would get back up, and maybe somebody else would feel a little bit weaker. But it was a team effort. That was the only way that it could have been, the only way that we could survive. They stayed alive, not just by their physical warmth of each other's bodies, but by the phys- by the uh the warmth and encouragement of friends helping each other through tough times. The fourth illustration that he uses is in the first part of verse 12 to highlight the benefit of doing life with others. If one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. I mean, think, you're, think about it. you're walking the streets of a major city, Chicago, New York City. It's a rough neighborhood. You make a wrong turn. You're by yourself. You pull, feel pretty vulnerable. You feel at risk. But if you have somebody alongside of you, another friend, an- another adult, uh, you feel a little bit more secure. You feel a little bit safer because you know you'll have to be less of a target and you'll be more likely to be able to resist and prevail if an attack happens. Solomon's point here is hard to miss. Life is going to have stiff challenges. People can try to do it alone. But when you have a partner, you have a companion, you have a close friend, Two will generally fare better than one. Now, the last and third scenario. Last part of verse 12. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So Solomon is saying something here that everything he has just said about two being together is now multiplied when you throw in more people. In the movie Gladiator, remember that movie? Russell Crowe is the main character, Maximus. And um, he illustrates the power of the principle of of three strands in the Colosseum. They're in the Colosseum. They're being attacked by wild animals and other Roman gladiators. And and he says, we have a better chance if we stick together. If we stay together, we will survive. Or as Benjamin Franklin put it, uh, from the, during the American Revolution, we must all indeed hang together. Or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. And this third strand adds strength and, and it can take a lot more strength than just two by themselves. And that third strand should take two forms. First and foremost, that, that third strand is to be Christ. When Christ is in the middle and the center of a relationship, we have multiplied exponentially our strengths because now we're not just drawing from each other's strength, but we're drawing from the strength of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings who defeated death, who is sovereign over all, who rules over all. And the strength we have together is, is multiplied exponentially because we've tapped into the power of Jesus Christ. You know, when I went to college my first few weeks, it was so important the first few months to connect with a group of guys who, who helped me spiritually. They were that third strand who helped me spiritually, who brought the best in me, who helped me to, to grow in my, in, my, in my following of Jesus Christ and we discovered together, there were different times that we would kind of pull each, pull each other up, but we discovered together that we were stronger when we stuck together and we kept Christ at the middle of those relationships. They're my best friends still to this day. Secondly, this third strand <laughs> tells us that when three or more people are committed to each other and their well-being, is going to be so much easier to tackle the challenges of life and be that much harder to fail. And each time you add a close, authentic relationship, you are in a stronger position. As I said earlier, one of our primary purposes here at First Covenant is to encourage and nurture uh, and help you to find those sorts of relationships in this church. And we know that sometimes the sheer number of people attending here, or perhaps because of, of maybe you're a little bit more um, introverted or whatever, it might be hard to find those, that sort of community. But that's why we have to be so intentional about connecting with each other. And so whether it's through a life group or a home group of some kind with adults or youth or children, or whether it's serving alongside each other in a ministry where you build those relationships together as you see God working in you and through you, I hope that you will take advantage of those opportunities if you have not already done so. It'd be a great way to do life as God has intended. So back to the old man on the tractor. The next morning as he's about to leave, the old man found a bundle of sticks tied together with a piece of twine sitting right by the fire where he had discussion with the girl the night before. The girl had gotten the message. So may we as well. Life as God has intended it is to be lived in close relationships with those who will support us and help us when we fall. It's intended to be lived with those who will help us when life gets tough. It's intended to be lived with those who will bring out the best in us And it's intended to be lived with Christ at the center of those relationships as we grow into all and everything that God has called us and created us to be. And when that happens, that's when we will have the greatest joy, meaning, and satisfaction in life. Because when it's all said and done, there are two things that will remain. Our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you have created us in your image for deep and intimate relationship with other people. We thank you that you've created us for relationship with you as well, Father, and that it's possible through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to resist the temptation to draw back, to pull back, and to isolate ourselves. <laughs> because of pride or fear or guilt or shame or apathy or simply just busyness in life. Help us, Lord, to to understand and really grasp the truth of Ecclesiastes that the only things that really matter in the long run, the only things that will remain after all is said and done will be our relationships with you and our relationships with others. So help us, Lord, to make those priorities. Help us to be an encouragement to others and help us to open ourselves up to others so they can be an encouragement to us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.